Welcome to season two, episode three of the OCA podcast. So glad you could find us. Today's guest is Dr. Sharon Ford. Dr. Sharon Ford has over 30 years of experience in serving in the foster and adoptive and vulnerable kid space. She brings such a passion and such a desire for individuals, for the church, for individual churches to engage in serving the vulnerable and caring and bringing the gospel to their community, stepping out and serving faithfully to help and to pursue relationships as we navigate life in the pandemic, as we navigate life outside the pandemic, what it looks like to continue to, to explore opportunities to engage and to serve and to love our neighbors and to be a neighbor to those who may be experiencing brokenness, to those who are having a hard time taking care of their kids. Grateful to be with Dr. Ford today. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, I hope you are as encouraged as I was listening and hearing what Dr. Ford has to share with us. So Dr. Ford, thanks so much for being with us today. Um, I know that um, you bring such a immense amount of knowledge and um, wisdom in the adoptive and foster care world, um, especially now leading um, the foster and adoptive world um, through focus on the family. Tell me a little bit about where you began to feel this passion, this call in your life to begin stepping into foster and adoptive care. What was the catalyst that that pushed you toward or that began to guide you toward, hey, this is something that I, I want my life to be about? Hmm. You know, I, I wish I could say that there was one simple answer to that, but, but let me put try to put these pieces together for you. First of all, my grandmother, on my, my maternal grandmother, um, has always been a person um, who welcomed children in from the community in the neighborhood. And so she always had an extra pot on the stove and you could come there and get a meal. It might not have been a three course meal, but you could get a bowl of beans, a plate of spaghetti, you know, you could, they were, kids were always welcomed in. And so she mimicked that, she mirrored that you, you, a person in the community is there to serve, you know, others in the community. I think my, another piece that I had was that my father was in the military and he really, as a drill sergeant, his goal was to, his role was to actually work with the young recruits and to kind of whip them into shape. And many of those young men back in that day, boy, if you got in trouble with the law, you know, young man, he got a choice going to jail or you, you want to go in the military? Of course, many of them said, I'll go in the military. Right. And so my dad took a lot of those young men under his arm, um, mm -hmm. spoke into their lives and helped them to know that, you know, you need to get on the straight and narrow. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a way to do this and there's a way to not do it. Um, you say, well, those two images helped me to know that there was service, giving back made, was a part of my DNA. Um, when I went to, after I graduated from undergraduate school, I worked for Catholic Charities for a spell, 
And I watched, um, I worked in, in the adoption unit. They didn't have foster care at that point in time, it was adoption. And young women who um, were, cho was, were choosing life were um, made a plan for someone else to, you know, to parent their child. You know, mm -hmm. praise God that they chose life. And secondly, that they were choosing, you know, when they thought that they couldn't parent, that they wanted someone else to parent. And so every day, I mean, mm -hmm. it seemed like there were um, women who were contacting um, Catholic charities to make that adoption plan. I got to see the adoption booklets um, um, that people had put together their biography, their autobiography, sharing about this is my family, and this is why I want a parent, and this is why I would be good, a good parent. Our, uh, you know, our family would be a good parent for your children your, or your child. And that spoke into my life too. Well, then many years roll forward, I then go work for the State Department of Human Services in Colorado. Yeah. And um, I'm sitting across from these two women who were known for um, placing children for adoption. And one of the women was responsible for international adoptions. And the other woman was responsible for domestic infant adoptions. And she always talked about the blue ribbon babies. And I was like, what do you mean blue ribbon? Well, the blue ribbon babies were those babies who were blonde, um, blue eyed, chubby little cute cheeks, healthy babies. Those were the blue ribbon babies. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, what if they, what if you're not a blue ribbon baby? She says, well, those are the other kids. She mm -hmm. said, and we need to find families for those children. Because the blue ribbon babies, there's people standing in line for those kids. But the other kids who are available for adoption, there's nobody standing in line for them. And that's where our work comes in. And I would hear her, you know, talk, talking to social workers, talking to um, respective families about were they interested in the, the non-blue ribbon babies. And then I learned that children of color waited longer than children even with medical disabilities. And I was like, okay, God, that's not fair. God, that's not fair. Where's, where's the church? Where's the church in all of this? And as my years in state government progressed, God began to show me that prayer was going to change things and that he was calling me to pray, um, to pray for all the children who weren't blue ribbon babies and to pray for the families that God was speaking to their hearts and speaking to their minds about would they, would they, step forward would they come forward to make a difference in the life of a child yeah what a and, what an interesting story how god resonated how god began to prepare your heart for those who weren't blue ribbon babies because as i as i listened to your story your grandma welcomed kids who wouldn't have been blue ribbon babies your that's father sure. your father said hey these kids are not necessarily on the straight and narrow I'm going to straight and help them show them the way. And yet, and then here you are years later saying, hey, it's now my turn to begin recognizing how do I help these young, young, these kids, right? These boys, these girls who aren't welcomed in homes. And what, a, what an interesting story how that God put on these many years ago or years ago that, 
hey, this is what's happening. And then you begin to see it. And that's that's where you ended. It's pretty neat. I don't know. Um, have you looked back on that and seen that? Wow. Yeah, that that's how God kind of orchestrated my life to be where I am today. You know, I was writing, um, interesting that you should ask, I was writing a um, story about my dad for Father's Day, like kind of like a tribute to him. And um, this past, this past June, actually, so I was writing it in May. And I was, had um, found a picture of my dad, and he used to wear a drill sergeant hat, hmm. the Yogi Bear hat. And so, um, well, I was weeping that, you know, I miss my dad. And I was remembering, you know, what stood out for me as, as things that he really poured his heart into. And he poured his heart into other people. And I was like, hmm. And so as I was putting those pieces together, as I was writing, you know, this, I miss my dad story. Um, um, I was like, okay, God, that's how you got me to where, you know, you, you took me. <laughs> yeah, right. It's been a journey. Yeah. It's been a <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it seems like it's a journey that you've found a lot of, um, obviously there's a lot of hardship, but a lot of joy in. Like you are a, um, if you sit with Dr. Ford often, there she brings a lot of joy. She brings a lot of passion. Um, and so it seems like that's created a lot of, a lot of joy in your life, right? And so can you speak a little bit about the joy that you've experienced as you've navigate this journey. We hear all the hardships, we hear all the challenges and the horror stories, but sometimes we we don't get to experience the joys, right? And you, you've been around the foster care system, you've been around the adoptive care system to know the stories and that brings you joy. Can you speak a little bit about that? Can I tell you that one of the joys that I have is knowing that every child belongs in a family. Hmm. That brings me joy. Yeah. You know, since God didn't make any perfect people, there aren't perfect families. There aren't perfect children. And so when families struggle, um, all, families, all families need help. We all struggle at some level or another. And um, unfortunately, when families really struggle badly, whereas they're not protecting their children, they're, they come to the attention many times, not always, but many times to the attention of child welfare services. Mm -hmm. And child welfare's goal, their sole goal is to keep that child or children safe and to um, help re remove the barriers around the safety issues so that children can go back home again. And so I take joy in knowing that people who need help can get help. I take joy in knowing that once families have been able to work through their issues, that their kids come back home again. I rejoice yeah. in that yeah. because that's where kids belong. They belong with their mamas. They belong mm -hmm. with their daddies, with their yeah. siblings, in their neighborhood. Yeah. That's where they belong. That gives me yeah. great joy. Yeah. Do you have a story that sticks out to you in a sense of this story where, where family has been reunited, where family has been reestablished, that that just has resonated with you um, and that you, you come back to um, that you'd love to share or that you'd like to share that you could share? Most certainly. There's um, I, this one story stands out in my mind. So this mom um, was someone who um, used cocaine a lot. Hmm. 
And, um, but she thought she was functioning, a functioning drug user. She had um, two children and um, unfortunately her drug use and abuse caused her family to come, into, come to the attention of child welfare. Her children were subsequently removed and placed in foster care. But I want you to know that that young mom was willing to do what it took to get her kids back again. Mm-hmm. And she, <laughs> she didn't like the system. She didn't like her worker. She had lots to say up to the worker and to, to everybody. Um, but her main point was, those are my kids. I'm their mama. And I'm going to do what I, whatever you ask me to do to get my kids back. And she yeah. did just that. Did it take her a minute? Yes. Did she have starts and stops? Yes. But she got her sons back again. And I rejoice. That's what the system's supposed to do. It's supposed to walk with you during that hard part of your life so that you're, and and watch over your kids, make sure that they're safe. The system's supposed to put resources in your life for you to help, help get you through those rough places so you can become mama again. Well, I shouldn't say again, because she never stopped being mom. Right. She, she always was mom, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but she wasn't there for the day and day in and day out parenting of her children. Mm-hmm. But she fought hard. She fought with herself. She fought with the system. Mm-hmm. Um, she worked through her program and got her children back again. Wow. What a great story. That's fantastic. And as you, as you talk about the system... I know here in Kentucky, um, a lot of things are slower because of the pandemic. And so as you think about things opening up and as you think about things beginning to schools opening up and all of these different things that have been closed, what are the fears that you see that you um, that you foresee that could become a reality as families begin to open up? I think that um, one of my fears as our nation, you know, begins to open back up and particularly in Kentucky is that um, children have been at home with their abusers, that children have been impacted by abuse and neglect um, over these five, six months of being sheltered in and that people haven't seen the children because kids were not on the playground. They weren't going to their pediatrician. They weren't going to school. The natural places where people would have eyes on, even people in the grocery store, people, when you're, people were ordering their groceries and, and, and having them delivered, or they were ordering them and pulling up and they were put in their car, you didn't get to see the kids. And so my concern is that um, some children have been um, neglected or abused during that time. And it's, we're just now going to learn about it as schools have opened back up again. And for the children who, um, whose parents have chosen to do online schooling, um, I'm hoping that the teacher is being very astute as they're engaging with each of their students, not probing and asking them questions about has your mom, has your dad, has a stranger, but just interacting with the child, listening to them, 
watching their affect, um, being alert and aware so that if there are, if there are clues or cues that says, mm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of concerned, you know, that this child who just months ago was bubbly and vivacious and now granted, we got to understand that being at home for five months, my own grandson couldn't wait to get out the door. I mean, he was yeah. like busting out the door. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, I understand that, you know, kids have had this trauma of being sheltered in this fear of this unknown pandemic has been traumatic to them. Yeah. And so, but teachers need to be, you know, kind of filter between that trauma and other kinds of trauma that the child might've been impacted by. Mm -hmm. And so as um, cases of abuse or neglect come to Kentucky's um, child welfare system's attention, I'm concerned that by the same token, maybe some families weren't coming forward to become foster families, that mm -hmm. the respite services that are needed, that other um, supportive services that were previously available in the community are not available in the community because everything shut down, everything slowed down. And so as things are opening back up, if, you're the, if the funds weren't there, mm -hmm. how did those ministries and organizations continue to keep their doors open for now when, you know, Kentuckians and Indianans are coming back out and, um, yeah. to play again? Yeah, for sure. And I've heard you say in other podcasts, listening to you talk in, in, other, in other avenues as well, talk about the church being the, like the front door of the community, can be the front door of the community. As these things open up, as schools open up, as things begin to be acknowledged, what a great opportunity for the church to step in and say, hey, here it is, right? What are some practical tips and practical tools that you would give a church in that community, how can they step in, right? We can say, hey, church, step in, engage, but how do we, how can they engage? What, what are some things that you're seeing? What are some things, ideas that you would have them to do as we can create new things now, right? I mean, because I think there's a fresh opportunity for churches to step in and see what is it now? It may not be about this church service, but what's the community out here and their needs? What are the needs that we need to bring people in instead of necessarily, hey, what do we need to do within our church? Let's... I think that churches have an opportunity to, first of all, be aware, aware that there's a need and aware about what, what are the resources around them that would help them be equipped to um, touch a family's life, um, to make a difference. And so churches are always doing Bible studies and um, doing, they have small groups. How, ch sometimes churches need to learn on how they could best serve their community. And one of the ways that they could do that is to connect with an organization like Orphan Care Alliance in Kentucky. Why? Because they are a church equipping organization. Mm. Um, they're equipped to come in and say, hey, church, gosh, you have children's church, you have youth church, you have small groups. You have um, pastoral care. Families who are alone, they need lots of care. Families who've been isolated, who are, are disconnected from society, they need people who are going to walk that walk with them and not um, 
treat them as outsiders. And one of the things I know about the church is that the church loves in spite of all of our sin. Mm. Because that's what all of us are. We're sinners and Mm -hmm. sinners saved by grace. And so that piece of judgment that the world has, God says the body of Christ isn't supposed to walk in judgment towards each other. So to know that um, a single mama was doing the best she thought she could do, but she was making bad choices. um, Because, you know, the Bible says my people perish for a lack of knowledge. So if if you're a single mama and you don't have knowledge, you don't know the right choices to make, you are going to perish. Your children are going to suffer. But boy, what a healing place the church is. That's Mm -hmm. to me the first aid station where you can come in and be accepted for who you are just as you are and, and, and who will walk with you to a place of healing and strength and renewal because God is a redeeming God. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's what the church is called to do, yeah. to be that so, first aid station. So good. And, and I hear you say, be aware. Like, be aware of what's happening in your community, right? You Step out, ask that neighbor. And I, I, as a, again, I've heard you, I've heard you do a, um, I've heard you preach on being a neighbor and loving your neighbor, right? And so it's just stepping across the door, right? And it's going and stepping across or stepping outside the door and going across the the yard or going across the street to say hello, right? And recognizing, hey, if we're the church, we need to be welcoming. How do we know the people in our community? That's right. Yeah. Being a good neighbor is so important and the church can be an excellent neighbor, but they also need to be an equipped neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so um, learning about how does child welfare, how can we serve child welfare church? You know, mm-hmm. the, we've got folks sitting in the pew, you know, um, twisting, you know, twiddling their fingers. It's like, they don't want to sit there bored. They, they, the church is about action. And so what, what did Jesus do? He went out to the people. He found where the need was. And so one of the things that I know about um, Orphan Care Alliance is that they have um, a wonderful tool, a wonderful resource that engages churches to be able to engage their congregations to serve people, not just on, their, on, their, on the street in front of them or the street behind them or the street, you know, five streets down, but the gateway system allows Orphan Care Alliance to connect with child welfare services who has the families who are in need and to ask those um, child welfare, how can we serve you? And for child welfare to say, gosh, we've got this family over here on Beaumont Place and, 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 and this family, gosh, they, their house was um, burned out and, and now they're just getting a new start. And gosh, if they can't get up on their feet, their kids are going to come into care not because we're being mean to them, but because we need to make sure that the kids are safe. And so the worker says, I need these four or five things that will make a difference for that mom and mom and dad to be able to keep their kids. And so the gateway system connects with the churches and puts out that call and says, we need these five things for these kids to be able to stay at home. And this church responds to one, and this church responds to another. And before the end of the day, all those five needs have been met by who? Churches, people mm-hmm. in churches saying, I can do this thing. They're not being asked to do overwhelming things. They're being asked to do, what can you do? And if you can't do anything, 
you can do you can always do one thing and that's pray yeah pray that god answers that need yeah and that's what the gateway does is it allows people to know about the need and secondly allows the church to be able to respond to the need i just think that that's awesome yeah it's it's yeah and you just said it the church right you know it's not necessarily individual churches it's the church being the church right yeah big c church that's correct it it can be individual churches but it's the big church being the big the big c church being the big c church right god's people and god's bride jesus's bride stepping out and saying this is what it's about right you just said stepping out because see it's not it's not about just being in the church in the church building the four walls it's about being outward facing, being available to the community, connecting to people. And how did God said, he says, I made you to be disciples to send you out. So here's the church going out and making a yeah. difference in lives of people. Yeah. And you, and so good. And you've mentioned, um, you know, focus is, um, focus on the family and OCA have had a great partnership over the last couple of years and you guys have, have poured in resources and you've pulled, poured in time and you've poured in so much into the state of Kentucky through OCA. What is it about Kentucky? I know you've mentioned great things about OCA and we're extremely thankful, so I'm not going to ask you what it's about OCA, but what is it about Kentucky um, that you that you found, hey, this is a state that we want to pour into. So we want to pour into social workers. We want to make sure that people are adopted. We want to know that uh, we want to equip families we really want to invest some time in the state of Kentucky because it's going to be at the end of the day, at least two years. I know for sure, if not three, um, what is it about this, the Commonwealth, right? If we're going to, if we're going to be correct, right? <laughs> the Commonwealth, um, that piqued your interest that said, this is what we want to do. This is why we want to dive in. Well, one of the reasons why when focus on the family was looking for a community to, um, to do a pilot um, where we would work with local organization, with the local organization, work with churches. We looked at Kentucky and, and, and these things stood out for me. First of all, you had leadership at the governor's office that was welcoming to other um, organizations, faith-based organizations to come in and serve. We focus only wanted to serve. Mm you know, whatever jurisdiction we were going to be working in. And so the governor was open to our participating and serving. We knew that there were, gosh, Kentucky has tons of churches, but some churches are closed in and other churches are outward facing and engaging. And, and when we did just a, um, a pulse check, there were churches that said, yeah, we're, 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 we're into this, we're up for this, mm-hmm. come, come. So there was the church. So even though there's the governor's interest, we wanted to know what was the pulse for the state, the actual child welfare workers and conversation after conversation after conversation, whether it was that intake worker, middle management or upper management in child welfare, they too said, come, we are community minded. We care about our neighbors and we want to, you know, if you want to come in and serve us, we want to serve alongside you because we will be better when we all come together to make a difference in the lives of children and families in Kentucky and the Commonwealth. And it was like, okay, this was a no brainer. We had win, win. We had people who were willing to be involved who um, said, well, what can I do? What part do you want me to play? And said, Hey, 
we can all come and sit at the table. We can have courageous conversations. We can dream together. And then we can, we needed to make sure that there was a bridge organization um, that set, would say yes, that they would be our local people on the ground. Because of course, focus on the families in Colorado Springs, Colorado. <laughs> right. And so as much as I've been to Kentucky many, many times um, during our process there, um, we still needed homegrown local folks on the ground doing the everyday work, having those everyday conversations. And so who stood out but Orphan Care Alliance. And so Focus said, we were kind of come into a partnership and collaborate. And we're going to, and through um, the leadership of OCA, the governor's office and other like-minded people, we said, we're gonna come in and do this work together to make a difference for the, in the lives of children in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. and we're, we're thankful that you, you have and that you continue to do the work alongside of OCA. It's um, it's great work to do, and we enjoy being we enjoy being a partner with Focus as we are the stay behind the bridge organization that is helping families connect and helping the communities stay connected. Because it's not Louisville, it's not Lexington. We're going out. Focus is going out to Ashland. They're they're outside of Kentucky. I mean, outside of the main cities, they are in many different. Um, areas of the state as well from all that I understand. You know, Jonathan, you know why that's so important? You're right, because no, typically focus when we come into a state to, um, to serve, we choose large cities. But we made a commitment to Kentucky. It wasn't going to just be the Louisville or the Lexingtons. It was going to be the smaller rural communities because that families are there too, you know, and um, resources need to be brought there as well. And so there needs to be an awakening and at some places a shaking so that people that stirring up and saying, oh, remember that word I used, awareness? There needs to be awareness in the four corners of the state, all throughout the state, that the children in the Commonwealth of Kentucky matter and that you can make, you can play a role, you can make a difference in the life of a child. Whether you're called to pray, whether you can bake, goods, whether you can get a rake and rake someone's lawn or mow their lawn, come over and, and wash dishes or, or vacuum, everybody can make a difference in the lives of birth families who are struggling, in the lives of foster parents, adoptive parents, by supporting and um, loving on and nurturing those families, first of all with prayer, and then with acts of kindness and acts of service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as we've talked throughout this podcast, stepping out, being a part of, um, and as I've listened to your story, you've talked briefly about your story. What are two or three, maybe four things that people should begin to do in their own lives to move them toward this great need? I mean, there's 10,000 kids in foster care in Kentucky, right? There's 400,000 kids in foster care in, in America. And that's a big number. We're in Kentucky, right? So it's, we're focused on 10,000 kids in foster care in Kentucky. And then there's a little over 800 kids in foster care in Southern Indiana. So we're trying to navigate these, these numbers and we're trying to navigate here in Kentucky, but we need people, right? We need people to step in. What should people begin to notice? What can people begin to do? You said prayer, right? Let's just go ahead and say prayers out there as they pray, as they are doing these, as they, as they are praying, 
What are some things that they need to notice? What are some things that they can do to become aware to step out and move in and begin engaging in this area of need? Well, um, a couple of things, and, you, and you're correct. Prayer is always first. And as we pray, what do we do? We read the scriptures. And why? Because we want God to enlighten us and give us knowledge. And we want God to prick our hearts. And he will then bring guidance. Okay, well, if he's calling you to be a foster parent, where, how do I do that? Where, what organization should I be connected to? Oh, okay, do I just go in the phone book and look for an organization? Do I Google that? I'm old school. Okay, phone book. Do I Google, do I Google that? Um, yeah, you do that. Um, but who do you want to be? Where do you want to serve? How do you want to serve? You say, well, I don't know. By going to a bridge organization, that organization has its tentacles into many different organizations, many different connections that can give you awareness. And so one of the things that Orphan, um, Orphan Care Alliance does is it holds orientation meetings. And those orientation meetings talk about the breadth, you know, um, of different ways that you, an individual can serve. If, whether you have five hours a week to give or an hour a week, or you have, you know, um, five hours a month to give, there's all different levels of ways that someone can serve. And families can serve together. It's not just the wife or the or the husband, it's the, the husband and wife and the children all can, mm -hmm. you know, can make a difference. Um, I think the other piece besides becoming aware is okay, then once you're aware, okay, God, where are you directing me? Mm -hmm. God says he, he will grow you where you're planted. So, okay, so part of planting means training. So once you have awareness, what training do I need? And so that's another thing that OCA does. And I'm just so, we're so blessed that they have that relationship with um, state child welfare in the Commonwealth is that they are a training arm of child welfare. And they get to mention the gospel as they're doing the training so that people are fully aware that this is, this is a calling and um, an assignment from the Lord, just as Moses was called to go watch out Without real, he, he, God didn't tell him, oh, you're going to go to this city or that city. God told Moses, you're going to, I'm calling you to go. And what did Moses do? He said, yes. So as these families receive God's direction and have awareness and they're equipped with training, God will further guide them about what they're supposed to do. And I'll be the first to tell you, everybody's not called to be a foster parent, nor is everyone called to be an adoption parent. But when God says that I've called my bride, my people, the big C church, to care for widows and orphans, to make a difference in the lives of people, that takes on all kinds of looks. You can mentoring is an awesome way. Tutoring is another way. You know, I probably could do great at tutoring someone how to read. You know, if they were struggling to read, maybe to pass their GED test or something. Mm -hmm. But I, I would not be good at baking unless it came from Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's so good. And you, you have, you've seen it. You've been in churches. You've been in states. And it's so good to hear your passion continue as from a little kid to now to see that 
you care for the least of these, you care for the vulnerable. And it's, I am so thankful for the time that we got to spend together today. And I appreciate your wisdom and I appreciate your passion and your joy that you bring in all that you do so that we as believers step out into what God's called us to do. So thanks so much for being with us today, Dr. Ford. Jonathan, thank you for having me on your program. Absolutely.